Hello and welcome to episode 294 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Caracino. You seem amazed by that number. Do it up big for the last pod of 2021. And I, we're recording as usual in separate locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl forty-eight champion, Seattle Seahawks. You're not going to give it a, a no more <laughs> this week? They are, they are the Super Bowl forty-eight champion, and that is all. The 2021 NFL season participant, <laughs> Seattle Seahawks. Well... We'll talk about the Seahawks and their long-term future after being eliminated from the playoffs. Obviously, we talked about that a little bit on earlier this week, our Seattle Sports Year in Review podcast. I would normally say, check that out if you haven't listened to it already, but probably listen to this one first. It's a little more time-sensitive than that one. Ever so slightly. I like to imagine that some of our bold predictions may come may be undone before the year even ends. There's well, one of mine. Husky basketball is playing tonight as you listen to this against Wazoo. And I would love for Husky basketball to get a W in that game and miss the bold prediction before 2021 even ended. I mean, what would truly be great is if they won that game and then didn't win a single other conference uh-huh. game. So you were right that they didn't win a conference game in 2021 but, or in 2022 but you were wrong about them going 0-18. I love that you just uttered the sentence that it would be great if Husky Basketball (laughs) won one Pac-12 game. This is where we've gotten to in Seattle sports because maybe that would be better than the expectation. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. It would be great. It has been a little bit of a hiatus for Seattle sports here. Nobody's played since the Seahawks. Some things have still been cursed even while teams aren't playing, but... The curse is going to do its thing. I suppose that is that is true of a sort. Should we get into our toasts, extensive toasts this week, and start with what I'm drinking? Uh, being snowed in, which I uh, hope everyone is doing well with the snow and the cold this week in Seattle. Unseasonable, atypical. Uh, I had to go to the back of my fridge and pull out the Snoqualmie Falls Sun Goddess Session IPA, which I probably purchased in September. It was definitely when we were getting chicken. Uh, uh, I, I think it was probably fats chicken, something like that. Because uh, then I went to, uh, why am I blanking now on the beer bar on Madison Street? To Chuck's? Yes, Chuck's Hop Shop in the Central District and picked this up and anticipated that we would at some point drink it on a podcast. But then we pivoted to exclusively fresh hot beer for an extended period of time and have not recorded in person for the last month and a half. So it's been sitting in my fridge and now it will finally get drink. Hasn't been a lot of sun out there lately. <laughs> no, it's not a real timely from that standpoint. Uh, these these Sun Goddess IPA with lush highlights and a linear mouthfeel. I don't know how you have a linear mouthfeel. A beer meant to be consumed in focus. Locally grown malts create a clean, focused body. Bright citra hops and floral mosaic hops give Sun Goddess her spectrum of earthly goodness. Enjoy responsibly and come see us in the beer garden. Snoqualmie Falls Brewery, a small independent craft brewery located in Snoqualmie, Washington, bringing great Northwest craft beer since 1997 independent and focused on quality the whole time. All right. 
First up this week, remembering the great John Madden, who passed away Tuesday at age 85. Uh, legendary career, both as a coach in the NFL and then later as a commentator, where he became truly iconic and lives on with his involvement with Madden video games, which, you know, kids, generations to come will know John Madden, even if they don't necessarily know why they know John Madden. Uh, notably, in terms of Seahawks history, called the Seahawks' first Super Bowl appearance, Super Bowl 40 in Detroit for uh, ABC. And then after moving over to NBC for Sunday Night Football, called the Seahawks playoff win over Dallas in 2007, where Tony Romo famously was uh, unable to put down the snap as the holder and got sh stopped short of the line on fourth down as the Seahawks beat the Cowboys. I got to say, I, I don't remember either of these calls. Did he also call Nick Young's performance against UW basketball that night? <laughs> he did not, no. Because UW that's, basketball was in a place at the at. time when we were not cheering for one victory in the entire Pac-12 season. I actually made the choice to go to a UW basketball conference game instead of watching a Seahawks playoff game, which is the most mind-boggling thing to think about in the year 2021. The Seahawks going to the playoffs is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up. Congrats to uh, Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner, the Seahawks, two Pro Bowl picks. It's Wagner's eighth consecutive honor and a second for Diggs, who was picked the starting free safety for the NFC. The Seahawks also had four alternates, Nick Ballore's special teamer, Dwayne Brown, Michael Dixon, and Russell Wilson. All right, to Trent McDuffie, who announced earlier oh. this week that he's heading to the NFL draft. Oh. And then also a, uh, a farewell to Terrell Bynum, who announced he's had a change of heart and plans to transfer after five years at U. Five years. Wow, it's sure been that right. long I think for Terrell Bynum. Golly. Uh, Trent well, McDuffie throughout the golly. totally makes sense. Look, it, if Pete Carroll's gone, at least we'll have that. Um, it, it totally makes sense for Trent McDuffie to go to the NFL at this point. I think... There's a reputation for UW secondary players, and he'll probably be drafted within the first handful of rounds. Seems like a very promising NFL player, and uh, definitely wish Trent McDuffie all the best, unless he ends up with another fucking NFC West team. Oh, you know it's inevitable. Just for the love of God, any other team besides the Rams, the Cardinals, or the 49ers. Uh, can't count on it, but uh, it probably can't count on that happening. But Definitely will be cheering for Trent McDuffie in the NFL. Terrell Bynum, I thought, was a surprising one, I guess, considering how long he'd spent at UW. And I thought there was one piece, maybe other people have noted this, his farewell letter. And correct me if I also misread this, um, and I know that you will. Uh, in it, he thanked specifically Junior Adams and Chris Peterson in that letter. No mention of Jimmy Lake. That That is correct, yes. I don't Which know was, that there was... I, but I mean, it definitely felt a little bit of like, I came here because of Chris Peterson and Junior Adams was my position coach who I had a good relationship yep. with. And it, it, I think it gives a sense of potentially how Jimmy Lake was viewed, at least on the offensive side of the ball in that locker room, especially with wide receivers. You know what I mean? If you're the wide receiver <laughs> and you see your coach wearing the run the damn ball hat, you can't feel that great about that. Uh, but I, I thought it, it was it was a notable thing that the coach who he went into this year with as his head coach was not mentioned when he was transferring. It is interesting to note. He also said in that farewell note, uh, the team is in great hands with Coach DeBoer and company. So a little surprising given there wasn't a position cha coach change that Junior Adams is staying on that he decided to go. But uh, 
understandable nonetheless. I guess so. I don't, we'll see where he ends up. I feel like there must've been a conversation that had, do have we confirmed that any wide, no wide receivers are coming in from Fresno state, right? Uh, not to my knowledge. I mean, I, I'm not ruling it out, but the the particular wide receiver who was at one point wrote, reported to be in the trans have his name in the transfer portal that turned out not to be true. I I feel like there must have been some chatter that maybe he wasn't going to get the kind of playing time next year or something else was in the mix because I I really don't know if I understand it for any other purpose, but we'll see. Uh, it was interesting. I was watching. I think the only bowl game that I've watched was like the fourth quarter of the BYU bowl game, where. Uh, they ended up, or no, yes, yeah, BYU, where they ended up losing their bowl game and seeing Puka Nakua get a deep ball in that game. And then his brother, who I think he transferred back to basically be closer to home, had the deciding fumble in the game. I wasn't sure whether it was Puka Nakua or his brother. His brother had the deciding fumble in the game that basically lost BYU that game. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see the dogs who moved on. Yeah, uh, they they both transferred in this year because... Samson Nikoa, his older brother, had been mm-hmm. playing at Utah previously. Uh, so he was he was still relatively close to home, but they both came right back to uh, Provo this year. BYU, it seemed like they had a nice season until they lost to, I can't even remember who the fuck it was, that they were playing. Uh, but losing that bowl game was a little bit like, we know who BYU is. They lost to UAB to finish. I mean, first off, look at all the teams of the Pac-12. They've been uh, Puka Nakua finished the season with 43 catches, 805 yards, and six touchdowns. Would be nice. BYU. Would be nice. But we get a general sense of also, I mean, that same thing. Obviously, both those brothers wanted to go back home. But you look at that letter and you can sort of project backwards and be like, okay, this is clearly how the wide receiver room felt about a coach like Jimmy Lake. And I think I, I, I wouldn't say clearly. This is a possible indication. A clear and decisive indication. Cool. <laughs> Regress your opinion towards the mean. Uh, BYU went five and a go against Pac-12 this season. Frankly, they should be in the Rose Bowl as the Pac-12 oh, champs. They went undefeated, including beating Utah 26-17 at home, beat Arizona, Arizona State at home back when they were ranked at Washington State and at USC. Wow, the freaking Rose Bowl is coming up. It's just like, I, I feel like, bowl season outside of the college football playoff has been so diminished, which I know this is your concern with bowl season is that by adding a playoff, the rest of the bowls become diminished where it's just like I, for a second, I couldn't have even told you who was playing in the Rose bowl. Well, it's also partially because the number of teams continue testing positive for COVID-19 and being unable to play in the bowl games this year. That, that really hasn't helped the matter. We can't ensure that the Rose bowl will happen. Fingers who are they crossed. Playing? Ohio state. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Next up, a get well soon to crack and forward slash breakout star slash beloved fan favorite Brandon Tanev, who suffered a season ending ACL tear in the team's most recent game on December 18th. Sort of knew that this was going to be a a long term injury. Obviously, it it looked like he was in a lot of pain when he went down on the ice. And then from the the discussion from the Kraken before they officially released this news earlier this week, they wanted said they wanted to wait until after the holiday. You know what it is. (laughs) But still, for old times' sake, give it Kraken. Just hit Brandon Tanev. The one truly breakout player that the Kraken have had this season, the fan favorite. And it's just like, boom, right there. They like hit the fans where it hurt with Brandon Tanev. 
uh, just miraculous how this curse works. Uh, that it wasn't somebody else. It wasn't Grubauer. It wasn't any other player. It was Braden Tanev, the fan favorite, put everything together this season, was playing well, gone for the year. Finishes with nine goals, six assists. Already had more goals than he had last season for Pittsburgh, although I guess it was only in 32 games. So it wasn't that that different a total number of games. So a real bummer, and I uh, hope he's back in time for the start of the 2022-23 season, which, wow, that sounds... Sounds a long ways away, but it's only one year away, 2022-23. Lastly this week, good luck to everybody in the Pelton Cast Fantasy Football Finals this weekend, except Patton Richards, since I'm playing him in the home of the four-time WNBA Champs League in the final. Good luck to you, Patton. We're pulling for you. (laughs) All of the listener is pulling for you. We do not need Kevin to be so smug. Oh, it says the guy who calls himself fantasy genius, but didn't make the playoffs in either <laughs> league this year. I don't think I've ever made the playoffs. In a, I might have one time. I guess I made it to the Champions League, so I must yeah, have. Yeah, you must have. Well, no, because I'm in both. Both I made the playoffs with both of my teams, one of which lost in the semifinals. Uh, not not a great, great week for Jonathan Taylor, unfortunately. There's going to be an extra spot in the Champions League next year. And you might get that by virtue of the two sweetest words in the English language. What's that? Nepotism? Def- oh. Default. Default by default. Okay. Well, the joke is that sl- default is the two Swedish language, sweetest okay. words in the English language. Keep up with the Simpsons, friend. I'm not familiar with that IP. <laughs> I know you are. Do we want to... Do we have any uh, takeaways from from Christmas eating from at, at your house? Nope. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we wanted to discuss that since we've got no other food topics on the rundown this week. Just staying at home and cooking for myself. No, I I have no review of the Wendy's four for four that I ate today. Oh, I mean, I, I do have a review of yeah, the Wendy's the four for four. Great, right? Always top notch, best deal in fast food. Love. Wendy's four for four. Did you see the tweet that that was out there today from Trey Brown? I believe. Look, Trey Brown. We so excited about his future. Uh, feel like he could be potential, you know, CB number one for the Seahawks going forward. Had a take about burgers. Did you see this? Brahms is better. Brahms. Than I, and it's I. I can't be mad. I just don't know what Brahms is. That's that's a great question. Most importantly, uh, I'm just curious about what Brahms is. It's a restaurant chain based in Tuttle, Oklahoma. So it makes sense that uh, is an OU product. You would know it. I saw that and I was just like, add it to the list. Like, I'm just, this doesn't make me mad about in and out This makes me excited about knowing about Brahms. 128 stores in Oklahoma, 99 in Texas, 27 in Kansas, and 13 in both Arkansas and Missouri. They're going with a similar in-and-out model. In order to maintain the freshness of its products, the company does not open stores outside of a 300-mile radius of the home farm in Tuttle, Oklahoma. All right. So, yeah. Brahms Ice Cream and Dairy Store? Is this Uh, the same place? And they got burgers. They got burgers. I gotta say, those burgers in the photo don't look that good. <laughs> Are you looking at the website? It's a chicken sandwich that is just straight up like the burger, but with 
a chicken patty instead of the burger patty. Well, he didn't say anything about the chicken sandwich, I don't think. I agree that that does not look like the ideal of a hamburger I'm looking for. Our values. Kind of stern-looking Brahms founders. Okay, <laughs> what else do we have here? These are my favorite segments when you and I learn of a new restaurant and look at their <laughs> menu. <laughs> they got breakfast, though. California Chipotle breakfast bu- burrito. And I'll tell you what. If there is a location that I want to have two items on their menu named California, it is a location based in Oklahoma. Uh, I gotta say, their uh, their blizzards look pretty yeah. good. <laughs> okay, hash brown, cinnamon roll, breakfast bagel. We're talking. We're talking. <laughs> okay, menu. I gotta check out these hamburgers here, Trey Brown. 100% pure beef patties. Ah, bacon cheeseburger. All right. Well, if anybody has been to Brahms, please let us know. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment until I go there. I, I'm just getting the vibe here that this is not better than In-N-Out. I, I, I mean, like, we also have a particular fondness for In-N-Out style burgers. These are not the kind of burgers that did well in our competition. Oh, I love a straight up burger, though. To me, maybe there's nothing better than just like a fucking cheeseburger. I mean, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying they don't they don't look like smashed or super juicy. All right, is that fa- unfair? Tell that to Brahms. This is total meat that we're talking about here. I'm not I'm skeptical sure. about that. I'm just saying, I I don't know. Okay. Well, let's turn our attention to the, the next time sports. you and I are in Oklahoma. We'll have to or Texas, I guess. I feel like are there locations <laughs> near Austin? Yeah, it depends which part of Texas. There's not that many Texas locations. So is Texas a big state? I'm sorry, did you just ask if Texas is a big state? Okay. Your location is Austin, Texas. I can never tell whether it's podcast geography. I can never tell whether you're being serious or not. No results found around Austin, Texas. I think we might understand what type of location Brahms is. Well if we- I mean, I don't know what the 300-mile radius is specifically, but they would seem to put more of the locations near Dallas in North Texas. Oh, well. Okay. Let's start our rundown with the Kraken, who uh, had their two most recent games that were scheduled to be played in the past week postponed uh, last Thursdays at Calgary as part of the NHL's extended holiday break, and then also Monday at Vancouver. The NHL planning to return to action on Tuesday night. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Uh, The league did announce last week that players will not be allowed to participate in the Olympics next year, offering a window to make up these games. Aim is to, uh, the Kraken will have three games over the next four nights at home, starting on Wednesday against Philadelphia. Uh, We'll see when they get back out on the road. These games in Canada also being postponed right now due to attendance limitations related to the current spread of Omicron. Okay. Uh, Austin is 390 miles from Tuttle, Oklahoma, which feels to me like they set that number at at an arbitrary amount just to make sure that they don't have to go to Austin because it covers into Waco. It's Waco is 292 miles away, and they're just I like... I mean, you could have said it at 350 if you were just trying to rule out Austin. I assume it's like a five-hour drive, right? <laughs> uh, it's a little over a five-hour drive. It's, but it, it does feel like like it could be... F- it's five hours and 51 minutes. It could be 400 miles and include Austin, but it feels like a choice was made there. 
I suppose. I don't know if uh, everyone views the world as Austin-centrically as you do. We, I, you and I will probably never be in a city with a Brahms. I mean, if they're near Dallas, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be in Dallas again at some point in my life. I've been there twice. Oh, well, yeah, Dallas is, huh? Dallas is much closer to Oklahoma. It's a well-known fact. Wow. It's kind of in between Norman and and Austin. That's why they play every year. All right, they got that good Brahms. I'm I'm curious to try it. Uh, as far as the Kraken's condition coming out of this break, forward Mason Appleton was the latest player to enter protocols, but uh, Colin Blackwell, Yanni Gordon, Riley Shahan were able to return to practice when the Kraken returned on Monday, giving the team enough forwards without Appleton and Ryan Donato, who remains in protocols. Defenseman depth more of a question, although Jamie Alexiak and Carson Soucy rejoined the team on Tuesday, and Adam Larson is expected to clear the protocol on Wednesday, which should give them enough to be able to field a full set of lines. Nice. Love that. All right, quick Sounders FC update is defender Shane O'Neill, center back signed with Toronto FC as a free agent. O'Neill made 32 starts in MLS regular season matches for the Sounders over the past two seasons, but didn't necessarily project as a first choice starter in 2022. He's more been depth with uh, Yamar Gomez Andrade, emerges as their number one center back, Nuhu playing quite well at that position. It's part of the shift to a, uh, a three central defenders last year and then also Javier Arriaga. Now, I assume this is where you were going to bring up the Raul Ruiz story that was tweeted to us about the potential that my bold prediction hinging on Ruiz signing elsewhere would immediately be rendered incorrect. Tell, tell me about it. I, I So I, I saw this tweet. It was in Spanish. So I, I it seemed to imply that Ruiz had signed a deal with the Sounders for $7 million over three years. I, I think seven, yes. Probably $7 million a year. But if you read the replies to that tweet... So it turns out that December 28th is Dia de los Inocentes, uh, which historically commemorates the uh, King Herod killing all children under two years of age in the Bible. But in Spanish- In the what? (laughs) You're not familiar with that story? Who? You don't don't remember this from church? King who did what now? So King Herod finds out from the astrologers that a king was born in Bethlehem and is like, Okay, well, nobody's coming after my throne, so we're just killing all the children under two years of age there. Is this a real thing that happened? It is not. There's no historical evidence for it. Okay. And it, it, it's not in all of the, the Gospels, certainly. Anyways. That's some that's apoc- apocryphal-ass shit right there. Okay. In Spanish-speaking countries, El Dia de los Indecentes is their version of April Fool's Day. Wow. So it appears, based on the fact that this no one else followed up on this and the replies, that this was a, a, a Dia de los Indecentes joke. So, <laughs> really so, just so, kind of shocked that Raul, Raul Rui Diaz's contract with the Seattle Sounders is important well, this enough was, to warrant a, a Dia de los Indecentes joke. I believe this was a journalist based in Peru. Okay. Had done this, so I I went looking up for information about this. If anyone had tweeted about, had like posted about Dia de los Inocentes on Sounder at Heart, and came up with apparently Hercules Gomez got in trouble for some, I mean trouble, but for tweeting some jokes on December twenty eighth that people took seriously, even though he tweeted them in Spanish. I mean, with the language barrier, I totally understand how you would take something seriously and not get an April Fool's joke. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the cultural barrier, too, of not knowing that April Fool's in Spanish-speaking countries falls on December 28th. <laughs> they don't call it April There's Fool's, obviously. packing stuff in between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if they celebrate Boxing Day in Peru. <laughs> Most of the rest of us are just doing fuck all nothing and sledding, but, like, that's that's a lot that's going on. Well, they're in the Southern Hemisphere. They're not sledding. I guess that's true. That's a that's a podcast geography for you. Uh, you know, I was mostly basketball. just commenting on my current state. Okay, you you've been doing a lot of sledding. I can't say I've been doing much. Wow. Uh, you know, West, women's Se- West Seattle has changed you. <laughs> <laughs> Used to be a big sledder before. He's <laughs> doing a lot of sledding down the hill in Boulevard Park. We used to as kids. That was a good time. <laughs> ESPN's Kevin Belton is a noted avid sledder. A former avid sledder. Former avid sledder, yeah. <laughs> I haven't sledded in a while. Uh, you if, know, you, if you had your own Wikipedia page, it would be such a mess. <laughs> because of the listener? There, or because so, of actual friends and family? There, yeah, I think that's important. There are so many people who live in SeaTac, Washington, that would love to fuck with your Wikipedia page. <laughs> Not I'm just t- telling I, you I right, right now, the... it would be a mission for people who live in SeaTac, Washington, to make sure that your Wikipedia page was as huge of a mess as possible. I haven't checked out the APBR metrics page in a while. Does it still include the reference to Songs for Christmas from Sufjan Stevens? <laughs> I think that might have been me who added that. <laughs> By people in SeaTac, Washington, I mean people who went to high school in SeaTac, Washington and currently live in Fairwood, Washington. <laughs> uh, sadly, it's gone. Oh, R.I.P. Well, this is the American Powerboat Association that you're on the Wikipedia of? <laughs> or the, the bowling? A- that's Professional the APBA, bowling? APBR metrics. American Pro Basketball Research. American Powerboat Racing metrics. That term doesn't, term doesn't get used anymore. It's all, people just call it analytics. Also, though the name has actually changed at this page to Advanced Statistics in Basketball. I hadn't realized that. Wow, there you go. I, I originally wrote this page many, many years ago, but it did not have any references to me at that point. People just call it analytics. Whether it's analytics or not. Oh, people be calling a lot of shit analytics. They just call anything analytics. Anytime a coach goes for it and fourth down. Anytime any decision happens that you don't like in the world, it's analytics. <laughs> it's analytics. Anything, anywhere, it's There's analytics. some CDC guidelines today that might be analytics. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh dear! I get the, I get the feeling the people who don't want to go for fourth down also agreed with these guidelines, though. There's not uh, there's not going to overlap <laughs> on that Venn diagram. Not going to be Terry Bradshaw after the game being like analytics took a big hit today from the CDC. Oh boy! Uh, you know, women's basketball, unfortunately, the latest program dealing with a COVID outbreak, unable to play this weekend's scheduled home games on Friday against number two Stanford, Sunday against California. Uh, team said in the press release that they intend to reschedule those home matchups, including the visit from Stanford, the reigning national champions. This is like the first week of the pandemic, but we don't have to add, have the added element of fear along with it. I mean, there there certainly are is a degree of overlap. Uh, the December 24th, Christmas Eve, was the most positive test, I believe, that King County had, had recorded at any point during the pandemic. Now, obviously, testing even though it became a little scarce prior to Christmas, much more widely available, certainly than it was in March, 2020. But uh, yeah, it's interesting times. You know, men's basketball, 
uh, got the news earlier this week or late last week that the Pac-12 had revised rules on cancellations caused by COVID protocols to declare gaming no contest if it's unable to be made up rather than the previous forfeit. So the Huskies immediately got back that conference loss they previously had. They haven't won a conference game yet, but they have unlost one. That's huge. Because that applies retroactively to the UW-UCLA game earlier this month that was unable to be played. Uh, Bruins, as I mentioned on Twitter, among two other Pac-12 teams unable to play last week due to COVID protocols, surely more to come as Omicron continues to spread. I, so, I don't know if the Bruins said anything about UW. I'm sure that they didn't or whatever. They didn't say anything, but the whole like, yeah, we're, we're going to take that W. COVID always catches up. That's the thing. No matter what, it always catches up to you. Anytime that you're like, <laughs> you're out there reaping, right? Like, there. Yeah. You were sowing, and now you're reaping. Yes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you see all I sowed, and now they're reaping. You're out, you're out there sowing, and eventually you're going to reap. <laughs> uh, the Huskies previously re- rescheduled Arizona's game uh, moved up from January 25th to next Monday, which could potentially open that January 25th window up for UW-UCLA. So we'll see. Obviously going to be a lot of makeup games and postponements. Any notion that this year was going to be different than last year is out the window. Oh, I think it'll be more complicated than last year, if anything. I mean, we've seen with professional sports, it's actually kind of funny. I think the NFL is just like, fuck it, you're playing, except when it actually has to do with the Seahawks. Um, But for the most part, the NFL is just like, you don't have three offensive linemen. Sorry, it's on national TV. Um, but for the most part, the 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 transmissibility of the Omicron variant means that these games are going to have to be more flexible. And the lack of restrictions because of the fact that widespread vaccination, yes. you know, hopefully will make it at the very less, least less lethal than, you know, this kind of spread would have been a year ago. Well, and that's what I mean by it's like it's like the beginning of the pandemic, except without the fear, because we've seen that for the most part, vac- vaccines are working. They're doing their job. Yeah. And boosters continue to show strong evidence of being effective against Omicron. So definitely recommend everyone who has the opportunity to go go out and get boosted as we have. Uh, so first up for the Huskies. Pete Carroll style. The pel- you know, if, if you're on the fence about getting oh. boosted, the Pelton cast is boosted. There you go. There you go. They they did it on a Wednesday because they podcast on Tuesdays, so they had to wait until <laughs> after they podcasted. I actually did do it on a Wednesday. I don't really? think that was the reason. That was the day that was available. Huskies, as you mentioned, playing Wednesday night in Pullman against Washington State and uh, is discussed on the year in sports pod about Kyle Smith. Cougars starting conference play with their highest Ken Palm ranking since Clay Thompson <sighs> was in Pullman. Wow. Wazoo started 5-0, and but have been more uneven since then with home losses to Eastern Washington and New Mexico State. Also lost to common opponent South Dakota State in Spokane, who the Huskies managed to beat in South Dakota. But uh, also beat ASU 51-29 and narrowly lost to undefeated USC in that their is first two Dick Bennett their coach again? What, 51-29? I don't know what happened in that game. I don't want sure? to know what happened in that game. Are you, were they running down that 35-second shot clock? I mean, the, I don't, I don't think so. Damn. Uh, Seattle native Noah Williams has been the guy on offense for the Cougars, but hasn't been particularly efficient in that role. He's a little stretched, I think, right now. 
Definitely watch out for South Alabama transfer Michael Flowers, who's shooting 40% on threes. We don't shoot those. Uh, no. <clears throat> As for the Huskies, Hopkins told reporters Tuesday he's uncertain whether Jamal Bay or assistant coaches will be able to return for this game. Uh, the CDC revising its guidance. We have not yet heard updated guidance from the Pac-12. I don't, I don't know if they oversee that for the institutions or if that's on a, an institution-by-institution and state-by-state basis, but unclear whether that might short, shorten the uh, quarantine periods for anyone who missed their most recent game. Where is this game at? Is this in Pullman or in Seattle? It is in Pullman. Okay. I was going to say, Noah Williams is about to have a time playing in Seattle again. I mean, the last UW conference game with fans was UW Wazoo in March or February 29th, 2020. I think it was February 29th. And uh, that was the game where he like, yeah, he went off. It was him and CJ Elevate leading them to victory. Wow. Uh, and then Monday, again, the Huskies take on number nine, Arizona, which started a surprising 11-0 under first-year head coach Tommy Lloyd before losing 77-73 at Tennessee last week. Best win for Arizona at Illinois. They also beat Michigan on a neutral site in Las Vegas. Wildcats ranked top 15 in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency, and Lloyd has them fly in their second in the nation in shortest average possession length. Benedict Matherin has solidified himself as a first-round pick with his performance this season, while six foot eleven Zulus Tubelis and seven one Christian Coloco make up the Pac-12's best front court. Where is Tony Lloyd from? He was the longtime Mark Few assistant. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I guess I remember you mentioning that that he's now the head coach at Arizona. Well, that's awesome. We did preview this game originally, I think, before it got postponed. I'd forgot about that. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more? I, I feel like, and I can't be in the minority here. When you look at the Pac-12 and the star players in the Pac-12, I just don't, it's not like it was in 2007 or whatever, 2010, where these names are sort of like household names to a certain extent. I feel like these names are a little bit brand new. Maybe it's just me who's not paying attention. But can you tell us a little bit more about these players that are leading Arizona? So Matherin is Canadian. Uh, I This is the person who's established themselves as a first round pick. Yeah, I, I watched him, I believe, at the 2020 Basketball Without Borders at the All-Star Game in Chicago, where he was considered one of the best players there. Uh, was a fresh, true freshman last year and, you know, played okay, played pretty well, all things considered. Shot the ball better, I think, than you'd expect, hitting 42% of his threes. But this year has really stepped into a much larger role offensively, has managed to be equally efficient, making 60% of his twos. Um you know, big time athlete. So he's definitely someone who's going to be, like I said, a first round pick and uh, has led them offensively. Uh, the Tubelis Coloco con combination, uh, Colo these guys both also, you know, NBA prospects, particularly Coloco. Uh, he always kind of had the athleticism for his size, but really has put it together this year. He's seventh in the country in block rate this season so he's dominating the front court and then making 63 percent of his two-point attempts tubelis uh a uh, lithuanian who is another player who was a true freshman last year and played a lot and then uh playing even better in year two he's making 65 percent of his his twos you know i i mean it's probably too too convenient to compare him to lowry markinen since they're <laughs> both 
European big men who played for Arizona who were kind of offense first, but there's definitely an element. He's not that good. You know, Markkinen was a one and done guy, a high lottery pick in the NBA. He's not that good, but definitely some broad similarity there between their skill sets. And and the first person you mentioned, I, their name, Canadian, Benedict Matherin. Benedict Matherin. Yeah. Are, what year are they in? Again, a a second year freshman. Oh, okay. So both both him and Tubelas are second year freshmen. Coloco is a, a third year sophomore. Is that common now in college basketball where somebody is able to develop for a year and then establish themselves as a first-round pick? Not necessarily. I mean, Matherin was someone who, like, he certainly would have been drafted if he would have gone last year. I don't know if he would have been a first-rounder, but probably, you know, a a reasonable second-round pick and, you know, came back for a second year to improve his stock, and it's working. All right. I I feel like this is the way that we have to approach Husky basketball this season. I don't know if we're going to do percentage chance of victory for these games unless they really start mattering. But like the, we could just assume it's zero. Um, <clears throat> it's higher than that. For the most part, though, the Pac-12 is a rejuvenated Pac-12, and there are players to be seen on these other opponents. Oh, well, it's not that much higher than that. Did you know Ken Bob's odds for winning at Arizona? What two percent? There we go. Thirteen percent at Wazoo. Oh Lord. Um. Well, if you combine those. You get to see you're telling me there's a chance range. Uh, this is what I'm saying about them going 0-8, 0-20 for the <laughs> conference season. Oh, and however many games they actually end up playing. Two was... times 20. All of a sudden, you're at an 80% chance of victory winning a game. <laughs> Wait, what was that, man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they've, got a, they've got a much higher chance. They are not. They are favored to win precisely one game in conference play by Ken Palm. Which is that, Cal? Home for Oregon State. Uh, oh, there's no way. They have a Thompson, I'm sure. They do not have any Thompsons. Well, Oregon State lost 10 in a row at one point. I knew it was bad. I didn't realize it was that bad. They have the coach's son, Ooh, though, right? I don't think there are a single coach's son on the roster at this point. Dark times in Corvallis. Um, well, they did manage to without any of them. Or yeah, I don't think Ethan Thompson was still there last year, was he? No, he was still there, and they made it to the Elite Eight. So it's kind of shocking that they were one in ten to start this season. From the Elite Eight to not being favored to beat UW is it? They're seeing the darkness right now. Anyway, I, I do think unfortunately, that unfortunately is- Oregon State has seen a lot of the darkness. Familiar with the darkness. It's an interesting way to approach the season, though. Because, again, a rejuvenated Pac-12 and... Well, it's a top-heavy Pac-12. Like, the Pac-12 basically has three good teams right now. Those being UCLA, USC, and Arizona. It's like the old Pac-12. It's like the 90s Pac-12, where there's, like, three really good teams and everyone else is, you know, Wazoo is probably their next best chance in an NCAA tournament team. I guess it's better than zero good teams. Rejuvenated Pac-12 means there is a good team, right? We're not going to be looking at it and being like, well, the Pac-12 winner is an 11 seed. They'll be in the play-in game. (laughs) Like the, this is a different Pac-12 than it was for the last fucking decade. We're talking about. That's true. So, and I guess even like this, the, there's probably every weekend the Huskies will play someone who is at least a decent NBA prospect. Okay, again, not a lot going on in Seattle sports right now at the end of the year. So that brings us to talking about the Seahawks. Wow. 
We dropped to 5-10 and ten and were eliminated from the playoffs with Sunday's loss to the Chicago Bears, setting up the first meaningless, completely meaningless Seahawks regular season game since 2011 on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And not a chance to play spoiler against the Lions either. Was there a positive meaningless game? What do you mean? Where they were already locked in because of oh. positive happenings. I don't know if there was a game that was entirely meaningless. We've talked about the game at San Francisco yes. where whichever the young young backup quarterback was at that point got into play. Russ played one drive. No, he played much more than that. Didn't he? He played into the second half, I'm pretty sure, in that one. So that would have been 2016, New Year's Day 2016. Russ went 19 of 32 for 258 oh. yards. Trevon Boykin went 4 of 6 for 42 yards. I guess he played quite a bit of that game. Yeah. So I don't know if there was any... I don't know, like, going into that game, whether they could move up from, you know, like, 3 to 2 or something like that or exactly what the situation was. But they were, by the end of it, locked into where they were. It's dark times. I... I <clears throat> It's just, it's been a while. Like, I feel like there's a lot of Seahawks fans who don't know how to be a fan of a team that's not in competition. Yeah, you turn on NFL Red Zone and you watch that <laughs> for the entire day. You cheer for the players on your fantasy team. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I want to talk about a number of points along the way and kind of things that have come out since we podcasted. We talked a little bit on Sunday about the organization and where they're sitting in the year in review podcast. And especially post the the performance against the Rams, this Bears game, it was, I just didn't really care that much going into it. It was like, they came down to the final drive, <clears throat> Bears get the two-point conversion, and I told you, there's one minute and 28 seconds for Russ to save Pete Carroll's job, and ultimately that didn't happen. I don't, I don't know how true that is or not, but we've definitely had some conversations that have happened. There's obviously certain people that have basically written off Pete Carroll, poured dirt on his grave as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And there's Pete Carroll, who on Monday morning, uh, and through the conversations that he had on Monday, talked about basically he's not discussing the future. A, I, on, he doesn't control the future right now to a certain extent, at least as it applies to him. And B, talked about, if you want to pull up the exact quote, talked about how he doesn't feel like this organization needs a complete overhaul. Uh, here's his comment on the Pete Carroll show on ESPN Seattle. Not for one reason at all am I thinking that we have to restart this whole thing and create a new philosophy and a new approach. I think we have the essence of what we need. So, obviously, you have to... I, I mean, look, this quote is why you need a restart and a new philosophy and a new approach. Well, the, the thing is, Pete Carroll has to think that way. If Pete Carroll... He does not have to think that way, no. He can think that he can learn a lot of things from this season. That's a thing he could think. But if Pete Carroll is like, we need a complete restart, he understands that that complete restart does not involve Pete Carroll. Pete sure. Carroll is not an organization overhaul coach at this point. He was a decade ago when he came in. But if there was a complete restart as an organization. He's, he's like the candidate who ran on being the outsider and then all of a sudden has become the entrenched insider. 
I mean, I'm basically it's like, saying I'm basically saying that Pete Carroll is is Patty Murray. Okay, that's fair. Uh, it's like Pete Carroll said he got boosted. It stops people from dying. Um, but like the the reality is, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are linked to each other now. Russell Wilson doesn't get traded, and Pete Carroll keeps his job. I don't think those things happen at the same time. I think it it is either. It could be Russell Wilson on his own, but Pete Carroll is tied to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson can stay with a new coaching staff. I don't think that Russell Wilson can go with Pete Carroll still being in charge of this organization because I think that the power Wait, structure... I, I, let me say that again. I don't think Russell Wilson can go with Pete Carroll still being in charge of this organization. You don't? So you think that if Russ goes, Pete goes as well? I, I think that if Russ is gone, Pete is also gone. Because if you're starting over... If you're coming from that perspective, if you're Jody Allen, you're like, we're starting over. Why am I doing that with the oldest coach in the NFL? It's not a one-year thing. Like, it's it's not a – if Russell Wilson is gone, <sighs> it is a process of restarting this organization. I don't I, – I don't agree with – I don't agree that that's the only way that they could view it. I mean, I agree that that would be the correct way to view it. But I think that they can take the perspective – Look, we reinvest that money in our defense. We get someone who can play at a similar, a better level than Russell Wilson has played at over the course of this season because of the fact that Russell Wilson has not been at his usual level. You know, whether that's Jameis Winston coming off an ACL tear or trading for, uh, you know, an established like non-elite quarterback along the lines of a Derek Carr, which was what Bill Barnwell suggested in his offseason uh, kind of. I suggest you shut the hell up, Bill Barnwell. I mean, it's not like he said that was a good idea. No, no, he was I... saying if the Seahawks <laughs> traded Russell Wilson, they probably would do something like trade for Derek sense. Carr. I sometimes so, feel like so, I'm the last defender of Russell Wilson out there. Well, it's a... I don't know if you're the last one, but you're the you're the and you're not even the loudest, but you're you're among the loudest chorus for sure. I don't. That's no, no offense to Bill Barnwell. I'm just I would be sad if Russell Wilson were on the team. Of the, course, the but if Russell Wilson decides he doesn't want to be on the team and the Seahawks grant him that wish, I don't think that that automatically means that you know they're going to go okay, see Thunder on this. The perspective is though, whatever made Russell Wilson so unhappy that he's demanding a trade is Pete Carroll. So what's the difference if things go well with another quarterback, like? The Pete Carroll philosophy is a bad philosophy to a good quarterback. So why, how are these things going to work in conjunction with each other? Also, we've talked about this. We've beaten this to death. Pete Carroll is a defensive coach who has a bad defense and doesn't really have a plan. When he talks about the organization doesn't need a major overall, obviously he's talking about Russell Wilson, but he's also talking about Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs. Like he's talking about more than just Russell Wilson. There is an, old core of this team it goes it goes russ dwayne brown tyler and dk bobby wagner jamal and quandre like that's the core of the organization right from a football standpoint it's not a young core so when pete is saying that he's basically saying we should just run it back with everybody pete carroll doesn't view this defense as a bad defense pete carroll's looking he's saying look at that dvoa you heard him he knows what dvoa is he just doesn't look at it he's looking at points against when it comes uh, to his defense that's the only the only analytics he needs is points allowed i mean i would dispute some of that to the extent that russell wilson is old bobby wagner is old 
Dwayne Brown to the extent that you consider him part of the core, but he's not signed for next season. I just he's I old. have to reject the Russell Wilson is old. Pers- I, Russell Wilson is not old for a quarterback. I I don't want to have this conversation right now. Okay, fine. I want to save this conversation for later. Russell Wilson has a decade plus left of elite quarterback play. We'll see. But Quandary Diggs is, is 28. He's not old. DK Metcalf is... Well, obvi- you know, obviously, the, I'm not saying everybody is old in there, but he's talking about we we don't need a complete overhaul but I of think, the team. I is still he think just he, talking about Russ? I still think he envisions some significant roster changes. He also sounded pretty jealous when he was talking about the other rosters in the NFC West. And obviously, we know that the Seahawks have tried to get some of those players, most notably Odell Beckham Jr., and just that's not who he's jealous of though who he's jealous of are players that he could have had and i think that's why it's frustrating maybe not he didn't need to trade the assets for jalen ramsey they tried that with jamal adams but george kittle was a fourth round pick george kittle was out there aaron donald was the 13th pick in the draft like yeah, the Seahawks, but i mean it's easy to hindsight have, the seahawks have not have, drafted well but they also but also like they could have fucking drafted taylor rapp 30 other teams passed on george kittle too so i don't know that it's fair to ding them that much for it 31 other teams or you're saying well, the no, Seahawks 30 other teams but no the, the Niners also passed on George well, yeah, no, no, it's a great point I mean it's you know Bob Myers often says that about the Warriors drafting Draymond Green in the second round he's like if I knew Draymond Green was gonna be this good you think I would have taken I mean he wouldn't say it exactly this way but you would think I would have taken Festus Azili six picks in front of him like <laughs> I wouldn't have risked it at that point although you could say I mean the Seahawks uh, the Seahawks did took Bruce Irvin, but they also then took Bobby Wagner out of Russ, so that that worked out. Don't forget Robert Turbin. Uh, no, Turbin he, was he, the next. He year. was after, but just don't forget him. Oh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> but the reality is, those rosters were constructed. The Rams spent a lot of money to construct their roster. The Seahawks done the same thing though. They went out and traded for Jamal Adams. Yeah, and they just screwed it up. <laughs> they screwed it up. So like, he's jealous, but he's doing it. Right, like I, I, I understand that he could be like, well, that was John Schneider who's doing that. But again, they're linked. You could be jealous of those rosters, but when you're in charge of the roster and you have a decade to construct the roster, it's not just about Russell Wilson's contract. It's about decisions that they made. Think about how different the conversation we would be having about the season would be if they hadn't traded those two first round picks for Jamal Adams. First off, they would have had a first round pick last year. Second off, we would be so fucking excited about having a top 10 draft pick we would be stoked and that's the part oh, yeah? that is it, I, I just i really it's hard to i mean i can i understand there are organizations who've had to deal with this a ton and it's something we haven't had to deal with fortunately when the cx have given up first round picks they haven't been high first round picks where you regretted it ultimately any giving up any first round pick is probably the wrong process because you could use that pick to trade down or whatever but like the idea of adding a top 10 talent or two late first round talents seeing them be able to just have some assets to move around with in the draft it would be so fun and the problem is jamal adams made like jamal adams is a fun football player but he denied us an entire offseason of fun and the nfl offseason is forever that is that is correct it's almost as long as the mls regular season but Okay, so of course, but basically what I'm saying is, of course Pete Carroll doesn't think that there's a major overhaul that's needed. Because a major overhaul would include Pete Carroll being overhauled. But he could have, like, used that question to say, we're going to learn, we're going to review this year and learn some lessons from it. And that wasn't his tone at all. His tone, I will say, I'll give Pete Carroll credit. He took, Pete Carroll is not, he's not a, 
putting blame on other people type person. No. Right. He's he's willing to accept the blame. Pete Carroll is a good leader of men, but he went so far out of his way to take the blame on himself. Like it was almost too far. But it's I think people like obsess over this fucking term accountability, which I don't know what it means except firing people, but in their the way that people use it. And that's what P. Carroll said is I take accountability. But if you take accountability without learning from something, then there's there's no point to it. Yeah. Fuck your accountability. I mean, it's good leadership, yes, to do to publicly take the blame. But how are you going to prevent it from happening again in the future is the it, important question. It was also kind of funny, though, because he like took accountability for everything and also still kind of shit on Russ for taking the sack and Jason Myers for missing the field goal. It was like all I mean, these things happen at the same time. And you're just like, I don't. Like, I personally, as a 100% Russell Wilson defender, was just like, fuck you, Pete Carroll. Like, sometimes sacks happen. You know what I mean? I, intentional ground. If you're going to take an intentional grounding or a sack, like, I'd rather try to make the play than take the intentional grounding. Maybe fucking build him an offensive line. I mean, they've certainly made efforts towards that. And when? Probably have been. What efforts have they made towards that? Season. Have you seen their pass block grade? I have seen their pass block grade. Or win rate? It's a little no, the pass block win rate is league average. It's fine. It's their pass block grade that's terrible from PFF. No. That's it's an interesting disconnect that I don't really totally understand the difference between it. I was prepared to make the argument that this was like an example of Russ of uh, Pete Carroll's uh, conservatism, but in that scenario, probably getting the three points to make it a two score game was more important than you know, the, the maximizing your chances of getting a touchdown in that it's scenario. Fine. But it's also but so it's also, outcome based. It's one play. Like that, that, that wasn't the reason they lost the game. That's the thing that I really am most annoyed about. It's like the defense let Nick Foles march down the field, score a touchdown and a two point conversion. Where the fuck was that in the conversation? That's your defense, Pete Carroll. Yeah. Like I agree. Russell Wilson took a sack that made them take a slightly longer, still very makeable field goal. How is this on? How did this conversation come there? Not on the defense for letting, is it because it's a whole core of a defense instead of an individual like, or because Russell Wilson is a more important name. Anyway, whatever this bears game didn't fucking matter. The season was over, but I do think it, it was kind of interesting. I actually, um, <clears throat> I stopped into the Seahawks Reddit today, which is not a thing I do often. <clears throat> just huh. to get a sense of what people are feeling. And I actually think the most interesting takeaway for me about stopping into the Seahawks Reddit page was how many people cared about whether the Seahawks won or lost the game. And like, I understand that that's your, if you cheer for a team, your instinct is to care if they win. Like I get that. Like but the Lions also, game or the Bears game? The Bears game. People being like, I, mean, oh, I, was felt, like I felt this pit some in. chance, but there was not like we knew. The, I, the oh, I didn't. I didn't feel anything. I was. I was. The, I found the final drive kind of hilarious. Oh yeah, no, honest. I was cheering against them in the final drive. Like the thing that I want to have happen is a. It, it is a complicated puzzle of things. But basically, my ideal off season is Pete Carroll is gone, Russell Wilson is back. There are some changes, but like. Ultimately, the most important change is who the front office staff is. If I personally could just fucking Madden franchise change what was going on, it would be Russell Wilson is there. The offense looks mostly the same. Eric Bieniemy is the head coach. The offense looks mostly the same. 
but the, you mean the, the personnel? core parts. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Players. Yeah. Imagine. I'm just telling you. Imagine this fucking team in the hands of a different front office staff with Eric Bieniemy as the head coach, who can coach a quarterback. Like, I, it is. It would be very fun to see what happened. Like, you look at these players that he has. Think about how much Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit. It's not just Eric Bieniemy, but that coaching tree has gotten out of those players. Yeah, I gotta say, the the last coach hire to come out of the Chiefs coaching tree did not go super great, except for the final drive on Sunday. Wasn't Doug Peterson part of that coaching tree also? He was, yes. Won a but Super Bowl. Matt Nagy like, was the most recent. But also, I for the record, I think Matt Nagy has been wildly underrated as a head coach. I talked to you about this. He's, Matt Nagy, like the hate on Matt Nagy. What has he been given? Literally, tell me. He inherited Mitchell Trubisky. He fucking you're took, not wrong. He took Mitchell Trubisky to a 13 and 3, 12 and 4 season to the playoffs last year. And then you give him a rookie quarterback, but Justin Fields is good because reasons. Like, Justin Fields may end up being a good quarterback, but in this moment, there's no good rookie quarterback. There's one good rookie quarterback. Also, I, I don't know if you've seen Ben's charts about rookie quarterbacks, but I'm right in my argument with you about if you're not good as a rookie, you basically will never be good. You probably will never it be is, good. It is an extreme example of a player. Like, to me, Zach Wilson, like, I would completely write off Zach Wilson's entire career at this point. I think Trevor Lawrence could be a good quarterback eventually. Probably will be a good quarterback eventually. But Zach Wilson is done. There's no chance for Zach Wilson. <clears throat> okay. Anyway... What I was trying to say is Matt Nagy is underrated. But <laughs> if if I could choose an Matt ideal Matt Nagy for the Seahawks next head coach. <laughs> if I could choose an ideal scenario for the Seahawks offense or offseason, that's it. Is you bring in Eric Bieniemy and keep the mostly same offensive personnel, right? With a, a a new front office that is looking at this defense, honestly looking at this defense and what they're able to do and changing things based upon that. Obviously not overspending in free agency, but maybe being willing to occasionally make a move in free agency that wasn't at the very, very bitter end, signing a player who has been wildly injured and will never play again or whatever, right? I mean, I don't necessarily mind that strategy. I would be trying to collect comp picks. So, I mean, I would be doing everything the Rams do, basically, other than trading all their first round picks. The Rams plan, except with first round picks, that would be what I would do. I'm sorry, but the Rams do not have that good of a roster. People, in the end, when we look at the Rams and we're like, wow, how did they never win a Super Bowl? You'll say because they traded wildly for Jalen Ramsey, they got lucky in Aaron Donald, and they got lucky with Cooper Cup. That's it. End list. Oh, and, and that Andrew Whitworth had way more in the tank than we thought. I mean, you're aware that they've drafted multiple UW players who have turned out to be great for where they were drafted, they, correct? They've been great for where they're drafted, but they're not like... Without Aaron Donald, those players don't matter that much. Okay. The Rams don't have a great roster. We have a pretty good roster. The Rams have a phenomenal wide receiver, a fin the best defensive lineman I've ever seen in my entire life, and Jalen Ramsey. This sounds to me like you're describing a great roster. I'm just saying, whatever they've... I wouldn't... I don't feel like they're a model for how to build a team. 
in terms of accumulating comp, mid-round comp picks, they're a model. The Buccaneers are more of a model for how you should build a team or somebody like that. You get a bunch that. of really good players and then lock into a quarterback. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the Saints will do it next year. Anyway, I was saying that they would get Russell Wilson. Anyway, my question for you is, the Seahawks play the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff led. He's back, baby. The Jared Goff led Detroit Lions on Sunday. Goff, we know, owns the Seahawks a little bit. Who are you cheering for in this game? Because it will have major ramifications. What happens? It will have major ramifications? If the Seahawks lose, it will have major ramifications. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. And like the Arizona game will not have major ramifications. I'm still cheering for the Seahawks, but I'm fine with them losing because at at worst case scenario, it improves their second round pick. I I don't see how if they lose to the Lions, Pete Carroll makes it through this. I mean, look, none of us really the the question here is what Jody Allen is thinking, and none of us have any idea what that is, and I just don't believe anyone who claims that they have insight into that because she is intensely private. She doesn't have established relationships with members of the media. Like, you know, I mean, I don't think Paul Allen did either. I don't think people knew what the fuck Paul Allen was thinking either, but they especially dealt with Jody Allen because of the fact that she's relatively new as an owner. I mean, that's one of the things that Pete Carroll was asked about later on Monday in his weekly press conference. And one of the things he said was, we've been on the same page about everything that's going on since she took over. And it's like, okay, but it's easy to be on the same page when the team is making the playoffs and winning the NFC West. It's another thing to be on the same page when the team goes 5-10 and and loses to the Bears at home. No, I was thinking about that, which is, it's a tough fucking job to be an NFL coach. Like, I don't envy Pete Carroll in this, but the reality is... You can't be bad even for a season to a certain extent. It is an extra like Matt Nagy made the playoffs last year with that Bears roster with Mitchell Trubisky as the quarterback, and he is almost certainly going to be fired this offseason. Like it is it's a brutal job. But I mean, Pete Carroll could go to twenty franchises tomorrow and be an upgrade. It's just that those are franchises that don't have Russell Wilson at quarterback. And Pete Carroll's shit hasn't been happening for a decade. Like, at some point, the the Pete Carroll perspective is, I think it is always a great perspective, the the positivity, right? But, like, I, I think that people have heard it. Russell Wilson has heard it. And the organization is like, we're, we are good on Pete I don't Pete think Carroll. that the players have tuned him out. I mean, they have continued to play hard. That's the other thing. It's like, they're just not that bad of a team. Yes, it's... Let me ask you a question. To to what the difference the between playing hard and not playing hard looks like? As if you could define that. Tell me a game where you're like, wow, that, that team was not playing hard. The fucking Chargers lost to the Texans this last week. The Seahawks beat them two weeks ago. Were the Chargers not playing hard in that game? When you lose an upset game, are you not playing hard? I don't. I, I think that literally means nothing. It's like accountability. Playing, you, you didn't playing notice a hard. difference in UW football after Jimmy Lake got fired. Fired? Not at you all. Didn't notice any. I thought the I thought the players were playing harder after Jimmy Lake got fired. They might have been playing different personnel groups, but to say that somebody is going, everybody is going out and competing their hardest in every single game. I don't don't buy that. Well, how about this? I don't buy any outsider's perspective 
to know who is and who is not playing hard. I suppose. I I think you can tell when a team has quit on its couch, and this team has not thus far quit on its couch. And I don't think it it ever will. I, I, they also won't quit on Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner's leadership, and that that aspect of it too. It's not just Pete Carroll's voice, but I don't I don't think it's about Pete Carroll's message getting stale. I think it's about his defense not working and him not maximizing Russell Wilson's talents and that frustrating Russell Wilson. I don't think it's what Pete Carroll says that bothers Russell Wilson. It's what Pete Carroll does. Yeah. So. Okay, we also had a fun quote this week. Uh, a fun tweet, in fact. <laughs> yeah, From uh, Le- Legion of Boom legend, Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor joined in the fray. Jumping saying, in the chat. Tweeting, quote, me and Johnny Allen need to have a discussion about the future of the Seahawks. Which sure sounds like Cam wants Pete Carroll fired. I, okay, so I don't know so, how else to read that. That is why this is why this is my favorite tweet that I have ever seen, because it is a Rorschach test for what you personally think, translated on to what Cam Chancellor thinks. Because Cam, <laughs> there's literally no other information other than Cam Chancellor saying that he would like to have a chat with Jody Allen about the future of the Seahawks, and every perspective that I've seen is literally just people having their own perspective and putting that onto this Cam Chancellor tweet. Because I think, did, you, have to, I think you have to talk easily, about it in the context of these Pete Carroll quotes that were coming out that day. Because Tim didn't tweet say this on Saturday. Like, we need to be done with Russell Wilson, though. Like, Cam Chancellor could be on either side of this hypothetical divide. Again, from the Seahawks, we have not heard of any divide at all this season. It is a last offseason thing. But... Reading the tea leaves here, we're assuming there's a divide, there's a Russell Wilson camp, and there's a Pete Carroll camp. And however your own perspective is, how you want to project onto Cam Chancellor, he agrees with that perspective. Is that what you discovered on Reddit? Is it people feel that way? What I discovered on Reddit is that the people of our Seahawks would be happy to have Cam Chancellor be in the front office, head coach, etc. <laughs> I mean, look, things are always better with Cam Chancellor in the mix. I don't dispute that. I, again, I don't think given the timing of that tweet, it's hard for me to read that as a pro Pete Carroll tweet. It was the day after a game that many people felt like Russell Wilson played a bad game, though. I mean, Russell Wilson did play a terrible game in that game. A but terrible he, game? Yeah. Russell Wilson played very poorly by his standards. He was the lowest graded Seahawks by PFF on offense. Am I remembering that correctly from Condota's tweet? Get the fuck out of here, PFF. Look, Ryan, Ryan, Russell Wilson is not infallible. He can play poorly. He played poorly on Sunday. He was He's played poorly a lot of this season. So, but that wasn't the context of that. Like, people weren't talking about Russell Wilson on Monday. People were talking about Peter Clay. Carol, I there were people who felt the same. Like I, I read through the comments. There were comments that people felt like he was talking about Russell Wilson. Okay. All right. Let me let me just. Okay. I mean that's. I mean yes, Cam was certainly cryptic. I. He, just the ch- the conversation on Monday was not about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson wasn't talking on ESPN. Russell Wilson didn't give a press conference. Pete Carroll did. Uh, he didn't talk. Russell Wilson didn't say anything about Jody Allen. You know who said a bunch of shit about Jody Allen on Monday? Pete Carroll. I love it. 
Uh, I love the Cam Chancellor tweet. I just, I, I love that Cam Chancellor can just jump jump into the fray as it's Cam Chancellor. We didn't, get, we didn't get a Danny Kelly like number of circus big tops tweet about that Cam Chancellor tweet because that's I, I saw that's got to be close to five. I saw it retweeted, but like the the Seahawks still a mess thing or whatever. Let me just tell you about the Green Bay Packers. <clears throat> Mike McCarthy takes over as head coach 2006. 2007 with Brett Favre. A, really a, a decade plus of winning, right? Yep. Consistently making the playoffs through 2016. 2017, 7-9. 2018, 6-9-1. McCarthy's gone. Right? And Aaron Rodgers not playing at his usual high level those two seasons. And Aaron Rodgers, there there were some people we might know, pretty critical of Aaron Rodgers at that point, uh, and had had some down seasons. Like, you could reasonably argue in that time period after those two seasons that Aaron Rodgers was the 12th best quarterback in the NFL in that range. He was not near the best quarterbacks in the NFL at that point. They let Mike McCarthy go. They bring in Mike LaFleur. Matt LaFleur? Which one? Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. Oh, bring in Mike. Whatever. They he's, bring in he's the offensive coordinator for the, the quarterback who you said is doomed. I mean In in fairness, when LaFleur had uh who was who was the quarterback that was who everyone neither was excited about? Neither of us can remember white? his name. It was oh, something Mike White. White. Right? Mike, Mike White, White, yes. Yeah. When uh, the offense looked pretty good then. They did? It's been such a long season. Do you know how long ago the Mike White era feels like at this point? They bring in Matt LaFleur. 13-3, and 13-3, and 12-3. Like, that is... That, that turnaround, maybe it happens under Mike McCarthy, but, like... That turnaround happening after some pretty stagnant years with the Packers, right? There was one that was an injury season. Even then, it was like 10 and 6, 10 and 6. Things were fading for them for a while. <clears throat> they got very stagnant. They needed new blood. They go out, they get Matt LaFleur, and they're a totally different franchise at that point. That was Eric- also when they signed Zedarius Smith, right? Sure. But like, that's putting a lot on one individual defensive player. I don't. Their defense I don't, got a lot better. They also signed Preston Smith. They both signed both Smiths that year, and they could find for twenty five and a half sacks in two thousand nineteen. But so what does the Seahawks could that, that do too? That would be great. What does it tell you that Daryl Taylor under a new scheme won't get twenty five and a half sacks? Twenty five and a half sacks all by himself. It uh, among. Rasheem Green and Terrell Taylor. Like, there's that's, talent that's on pretty this optimistic. I'm line. saying they went out and spent a lot of money in free agency, too. It wasn't just LaFleur, but yes. They didn't spend... Zedarius Smith didn't get paid crazy money. I, those are notable contracts. Let's look this up. Uh, he signed a four-year, $66 million deal with the Packers, Zedarius Smith. That seems pretty large for a defensive player. Well, shit, maybe we should try fucking spending some money in free agency. The Seahawks could have spent that money. No, they can't because they have spent all their money already. 
on nine on Benson Mayoa, on Bruce Irvin, on Kerry Hyder. Like they just they spend money in the wrong ways. Also, they Preston don't even Smith sp- was four year fifty two million that offseason. These are not bonkers contracts. Aaron Rodgers also is getting paid. Who is like, the last free agent the Seahawks paid in more than ten million to? Maybe the process is wrong. How about that? Just because you're saying, I, but the I don't think not right. doing free agency but is you, the you wrong process. Why? Why? What about Matt Judon? What about the Packers? What about the Patriots? Okay. Why is maybe you, have you should revise your perspective? Picks, you can bring in one star free agent to go with them, but you need the core of talent already, and that's what the Seahawks don't have. They do they have, have the core of talent away and wasted their draft picks. They have the core of talent. They're the one player of away. Talent. They're one player away. Maybe, maybe on defense. Yes. Maybe you should revise your perspective on free agency because we've learned things in free agency that free agency ultimately works. I think well-targeted free agency can be an effective tool. It should not be the primary tool. And it was not the primary tool for the Packers who were notorious for not signing free agents until they signed the Smiths. Let me tell you about the record before they signed the Smiths and free agency. Just being like, this is a thing that we don't do. I'm talking to you about how things got bad for the Packers and then turned around. But the Packers could afford to do that because they hadn't traded two first-round picks to, for Jamal but Adams and signed him to the richest contract ever like for a Aaron safety. Rogers. Then they fucking have Jamal Adams. Well, they better get something out of Jamal Adams. So in part of this coaching change where you're maximizing Russell Wilson, let's also include the part where you maximize Jamal fucking Adams because he's going to be around for a while. That's some cost. It's already happened. That's what I'm saying. You need to find a coach who can get more out of him than Pete Carroll was able to, in Ken Norton Jr., able to get out of him this season. The best part about this, about getting rid of Pete Carroll, is not that not only do they get a new offensive coach, they get a new defensive coach too because they're all bad. Right? It's a bonus because you get a better offense if you were to hire, again, in this scenario, somebody like the enemy or somebody like that. And you get a new defensive scheme other than this trash defensive scheme that leads the Seahawks to being the worst fucking defense in the NFL. No, there's there's seven defenses that are worse than The that. time of possession shit is not a fucking coincidence. It's not totally a coincidence. You think it do- it doesn't happen every week and be a coincidence? Third downs, those are random. Well, no, no. Having a fucking quarter the time of possession of another team—that's not a coincidence. That is by design at this point. I mean, if it was by design, it would be something that would happen year after year. The offense, the defense shares in the blame for the time of possession with the offense is the appropriate way to say it. Anyway. So about the Detroit Lions. No, anything else on Pete? I mean, I don't know what else there is to say at this point. I'm very curious what Jody Allen and Brooke I, I feel think like of I know this. Well, I, I guess to, to summarize that, I don't think they can lose to the Lions. And I, I don't think Pete Carroll can have that press conference that he had on Monday and say that no changes need to be made. You just run it back. Not if no changes need to be made. The, no overhaul needs to be made. But also, that, there's no learning. No overhaul needs to be made. The processes are fine. So what I'm telling you is, let's go, Lions. 100% golf believer over here have been a permanent golf believer, and I think this is the best for the organization. 
losing to the Detroit Lions is the best possible thing that can happen to the Seattle Seahawks organization. And let me tell you, this is a rejuvenated Lions team. This is a losable game for the Seahawks. And the reality is, we talked about these small moments about how, like, we can look back on these couple of plays against the Rams or whatever in all these games. They got outplayed in every single one of these games. Eh, I don't know if I would say that. I what mean, these are all weren't they unplayed, outplayed, and and lost. You think what they were game? outplayed by Chicago last week? No, I think they were the they better probably, team over the course pro- of the game. Maybe Chicago. They if won. Chicago misses the, the the funny thing about this conversation, and the dumb thing about this conversation, like I agree, the Seahawks need structural changes. The conversation is so different if the Bears just miss the two-point conversion. Like, if everything else about the game plays out exactly the same and the Bears miss the two-point conversion, we're not having the same conversation this week. Nobody's nobody's asking this week about Jody Allen's thoughts. Maybe they do next week. Maybe they do in two weeks. Jared Goff and the Lions. Despite their 0-10-1 start, the Lions have been frisky. Both wins at home over competitive teams with a 29-27 victory over Minnesota due to off to Schneid snap their losing streak, and then a shocking 30-12 upset of Arizona. Five losses this season by four points or fewer, including three of their four losses since the bye week to go along with those two wins. Your buddy Jared Goff was unavailable last week. <laughs> on the COVID-19 list, but back at practice this week. I hate Lions... that the season has led to me being a golf guy. <laughs> <laughs> a golfer? Are you a golfer? <laughs> I think I am. Lions did it's... place wide receiver Josh Reynolds on the COVID-19 list on Monday. Oh, he's good. I he like is. him. Hmm. Uh, running back DeAndre Swift could return this week after suffering an AC shoulder joint sprain on Thanksgiving Day, which is meaningful for my uh, fantasy football team in the final. Although if I don't have him, I'm going to start Rashad Penny. So it'll be interesting to say. Oh, start Rashad Penny. His projection is not as strong as you'd think. Fuck projections. (laughs) It's kind of wild that the Seahawks are head of Cincinnati and DVOA. That's the thing is they're like, this team is not that far away. I don't think that they're necessarily a coaching change away from Fucking what the Packers Pete did. Pete Carroll over here. God. In 2019 and 20. But if they did run it back with everybody, like they my project, like next year's over under is nine and a half wins. As you said, when you said Barnwell was going to predict them to win the NFC West. And we've, we've both said versions of that lately. Like this team is going to bounce back next season if they stay the same, I just think that they can maximize their chances of winning a Super Bowl. Like I, I I don't disagree with that, but what you're talking about is delaying the inevitable. And even if let's say that the over hunter is nine and a half and they go 10 and seven next year, Pico probably still needs to move on. Why not do it now? I I mean, I agree. Are they going to, are they going to win a Super Bowl? Next they've year, reached, they've reached the point where the downside risk of getting a coach who is a complete train wreck is no longer worse than the upside risk of getting a coach who could potentially propel them back into contention. So, oh, I'm this is I had a thought that I wanted to get to, which was the Jody Allen talk. And I, I don't know how real this is or not. 
but I feel like Jody Allen as an owner, as far as I understand, Jody Allen was one of the people who was pretty aggressive about pushing Paul Allen, her brother to buy the Seahawks. There may have been some reporting to that extent. And the way that we have these conversations are Paul Allen is a more public figure. Obviously Paul Allen is a masculine person, right? Paul, Paul Allen as a male can do whatever the fuck he wants. Jody Allen, as somebody who inherits a team, right? A femme person who inherits a team cannot be an owner who people feel like has oversight over the organization to the public perspective. And it's, it's so deeply sexist, the view of Jody Allen as an owner, where it's like, I'm not sure what people are looking for in this conversation, but Jody Allen, as somebody who, if it is true, was pushing Paul Allen to buy the team in the first place, who might have had more of an interest in football than Paul Allen had. I don't understand how we get to the point that just because she inherited it from her brother, she can't know what's going on or whatever with football. And I, mean, I, we, I we talked about this last week, like this idea that, oh, I want a t- an owner who's really involved in the team. Like, no, that's always a fucking disaster. You want an owner who hires the right people and gets out of their way. And that's what the Allens have done over the past decade. And now the time has come that those are not the right people. And hopefully Jody Allen will get involved to that extent. But we'll see. All right. Are we done with the Lions? <laughs> I mean, I didn't do any more research than that. It's, we're not really extensively previewing this game. You're hoping the Seahawks lose. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. Oh boy, I don't even percentage chance of the Lions winning. Oh Lord, I don't think we could do that. Oh, come on. I don't know. I really don't know how to approach this game. 25%? You think it's, okay, for the Lions, Lions victory, 25%? It's higher than that for sure. (laughs) They almost beat the Falcons with Tim Boyle starting. But the Falcons are, like, so bad in DVOA. The Falcons are the anti-Seahawks this season, where they have a better record than the Seahawks, but are just completely atrocious by every statistical measure, where the Seahawks are league average by every statistical measure. It's kind of confusing just how bad the Falcons are. Also, Matt Ryan has been low-key terrible for several years in a row. I, it's, a, it's a bit of a bummer. But also maybe an indication that aging curves exist for quarterbacks, too. On that note, thanks for listening. Wow, Russ is 15th in DVOA. Where's Matt Ryan? Oh, he 19th. keeps scrolling down. Not oh, that far off. Joe Burrow is 16th? I, I cannot buy this. Oh, Joe Burrow. The Joe Burrow discourse is something out there. I'm telling I just literally, if you stay were like, out there, friends. today you can, you can flip the Seahawks roster for the Bengals roster, but you have to give up your next three drafts. I'd be like, let's go. I mean, I would probably do that. They're like Joe Burrow is very young, and Jamar Chase is amazing. So yeah, I'd probably do that. Those wide receivers, come on. Yeah, you want to talk I mean, about roster construction? You're talking about the fucking Rams out here. The Bengals go out and they have they oh, they okay, find yeah, Tyler so Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. They, they found Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. I think they found them by losing a lot of games, buddy. Turns out if you're bad for long enough, eventually you're going to get talented players. If you Except for the Lions. F- if you trade your first round picks for long enough, you're going to end up with talent. 
traded all their first round picks for Jared Goff, traded all their first round picks for Matt Stafford, traded all their first round picks for Jalen Ramsey. You could do it over and over and over again. But I think that usually comes up to catches up with teams. And so far, it has not caught up with the Rams. That's the point. Just wait. Okay. Sometimes you go into the playoffs and you have to have Matt Stafford as your quarterback. (laughs) All right. Sometimes you have to have Jared Goff as your quarterback who you're rooting for next Sunday. Where's Stafford in PBA? Six. He's taken. He's taken a real hit though. That is like going down. Or no, he's eighth now in DVOA. You can't tell it me is, that has not plummeted. I think he was first like the first six games. It is going down for sure. <sighs> Have fun, you and you and Matt, Matt, Matt Stafford. His name is Matthew. I'm going to call him Matthew. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>